0: Hello, friends! Welcome to episode 21 of Storyteller Conclaves, a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller, or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level, I am Sarah. And I am Rob. Rob, we're on show 21, buddy. 21? Our show is like old enough to drink, kind oh, of, like if you count ooh, it in shows ooh, and not years. Legal drinks! I legal know, drinks. I know. Line up the shots. 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 shots, 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 shot, shots, shots. shots okay, shot. we're
1: done with this. children. you told me before.
0: Be, you were going to be lining up shots of, of, of NyQuil, young lady. <laughs> yeah, quite a few <laughs> of them. Our poor Kate is feeling under the weather today. Totally under the weather. Sniffles. Yes,
1: it's true. It's true. Total truth. Okay. All right. Uh, before we get too rolling here, I've got to get open our, uh, our chat window here. Because, yeah, like, we have live show chat. And, like... People will be like chatting with us like, I don't know, like some of our Patreon members, which you can do. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to us recorded, you can listen to us live. But the only way to talk to us is if you join our Patreon group. And within that, you'll get some other benefits. But the biggest benefit is you'll be able to talk to us live and be able to ask questions and throw comments at us and basically poke fun if you want to. Uh, so do that because we would love to have you join us. And we'd love to also welcome uh, some of our newer uh, members who just joined our Discord yeah, absolutely. Uh, and jumped on the bandwagon. We thank you very much for riding this train with we us. Some, we
0: got some fresh blood in the, uh, in the question pool tonight too. Oh, my. We had a
1: lot of questions, which I'm really happy to hear about. It was really great. Yeah. It was really great. Some of them are going to blend into this conversation. Some of them are not. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we definitely we, – we still have some that we're holding on to with, uh, I guess, death – clause because we are getting to them we will get to those questions <laughs> I, guess, I, I
0: i think i think it's next episode we're doing the history thing i'm sure uh, here uh oh no, no oh no. do gotta, you want do you want to skip geography and go straight to history no and yeah, you can you i actually
1: can, have an idea for geography you're gonna love it everyone's gonna hate it it'll be great we'll get through it all right don't all worry right. We're, we're gonna do a show don't worry it'll happen okay 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 all right so previously on cautiously optimistic yeah you should be you should be uh because you're believing that i have a plan um so
0: (laughs) do i look like the kind of guy who has a plan (laughs) i
1: i I might actually have a plan uh so previously we were talking about uh what in the uh i will say god sense yeah and uh
0: well, just, just to preface this, if you if you're just joining oh, us in yeah. this episode, yeah. Yeah. uh, this no, is no, an no. ongoing discussion about world building. <laughs> uh, this is like the, f- the, the fourth episode in our world building. Uh, look back at, uh, previous episodes with a brief divergence to talk about dealing with difficult situations. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, pretty much last, last four or five episodes have all been about world building. So, uh, yeah. this is, this is episode number four in this. And we're talking about, um, aspects of the world building that, uh, make your, make your world unique. So it's kind of like the, the, the who, the what, the where and the when of world building, and this is kind of expanding upon the what. Yes, all those weird things that make your setting unique. Whether the oddities, they be, yeah, whether yeah. they be uh, supernatural aspects yeah. or space aliens, like or what makes whatever. it
1: different, right?
0: And we're not saying like
1: it's cliche different. Like D and D is kind of like fantasy, mm-hmm. and you have fantasy. What makes D D different than Dragonlance, you know, or or you know some other like Tolkien is a different. D and D, and each one of these things has little oddities and differences mm-hmm. that fit into
0: it. You but know? they're all basically swords and sorcery. That You're gonna, true. You've got dragons, yep. you've got magic, you've got elves, you've yep. got dwarves, all that jazz. So yep. it's all yep. kind of this. They they, they all, they've all kind of with a shopping from the same bin. But you know what about your uh, you know aberrant where you've got like superpowers? What about Shadowrun where you've got shadowy corporations yes. and magic and yes. orcs and elves
1: and crazy other things uh, that have happened?
0: You know what about uh. uh Trinity where you've got psionics and spaceships mm-hmm. and high-tech stuff and some aliens there. And yep. you know, so what what are what are the aspects that make uh, that, that if if you're building the world then, yes. what are the aspects that make yours unique?
1: Yeah. And we, we kinda are gonna talk about different worlds and different aspects. We're gonna talk about like How they fit in, um, where they don't always fit in right, because we've we've actually like this week kind of been picking apart things and seeing you know how much of it is setting like is background Mm -hmm. flavor and how much of it is actively part of something that interfaces with the uh, the players themselves, right? And Um, the
0: the, the topic it's a little more, um, I think the word is ephemeral, you know, a little a little less uh, a little less solid um, at this point because honestly. the the unique aspects of your world can be literally anything. Yeah. I mean really any anything that is not naturally occurring. I mean hell even stuff that is naturally occurring yeah. but just maybe taken to an extreme level that it becomes a thing. Yeah. You know. I mean if you take a look at like the world
1: building let's let's I'm going to grab a weird movie that we didn't discuss. Sure. Okay. Um if you look at the movie Legend Okay, there's a lot of elements that make that world. It's a setting. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you've got kind of a typical fantasy setting mm-hmm. where you've got like a princess who's hanging out in the woods with a bunch of commoners and then she has this kind of woodland ranger boy who knows the woods better than anyone else and yet he doesn't even totally know about the fae that are living there. Mm-hmm. But he is aware of this these mystical creatures, these unicorns. Now that seems Tropy to me, if you look at like, hey, I'm looking at D and D. Is a unicorn a thing? Hey, it's there, it's in the monster manual. It's sure. not really discussed. Sure. You know, but in this world it is unique because this one controls whether the sun freaking rises. Yeah. Like that's kind of a serious that, setting. That's that, an oddity. That's an
0: important note in your world building. That's
1: right. Right now, the players aren't playing unicorns and probably uh-huh. won't interact with them. But that's a it may, may may interact with them. In this case, they did.
0: Sure. You know, I mean, they we murdered. Just, we one. just had a whole a whole episode about gods. Yeah. And one might make an argument that that you know that that unicorn serves essentially as a god in this in this yeah, world building.
1: Very much so. You know,
0: and so when you're when you're crafting your world around something like mm-hmm. that, it's an important thing to take into note.
1: Yeah. You know. So, so thinking thinking of things like that, where they are elements within your world that aren't necessarily part of the plot. They can be, but they are necessary to create the setting yes. and make it different.
0: Yes, exactly. So. Just just knowledge that these things exist can alter the uh, can can alter the setting around them. Yep, so, very much so. Um, so, what are what are some common things? What are some common things that we throw into that we throw into multiple settings over here? Um, we came up with a. A bit of a list. It's short by list. no means an exhaustive list. Oh God, no! But uh, you know, in keeping in mind that you know these, these are kind of some basic, very basic building blocks that a lot of a uh, lot of common uh, games will have. So you've got your magic and monsters, your short and sorcery style. Okay, mm-hmm. that's basically your your blanket term for just about any D D sort of thing. Yeah, where you're taking um,
1: history and saying, okay, history is great and all. We had castles, we've had kings, we've had sultans, we've had all these mm-hmm. things, but. Now we have magic yep. involved in that a little bit. We've
0: got magic. We've got weird monsters. Maybe dragons. Maybe dozens of other things. minotaurs, things, you things know. like that. Yeah. Um, you're you're possibly going to have multiple sentient races, like mm-hmm. elves and dwarves. Yep, and you know, your Tolkien sense sort of thing. Um, so everybody everybody I think kind of knows about that because D and mm-hmm. D is pretty much ubiquitous at this yeah. point. Yeah, um, I would say so. You've got uh, superpowers. superpowers yeah. you can add in now. Uh, you know, feel like like aberrant. Okay, mm-hmm. I mean aberrant is set uh modern day. Mm-hmm. In our world, yep. I mean, it's it's it is set on Earth. There's yeah. nothing alternate universe or fan. Or I mean, it's alternate universe. I mean, yeah. but you know, but, but it's like it's there's nothing fantastical other than the fact that one day people start sprouting superpowers. Yeah, but that's the supernatural aspect to it. Okay, that's the thing that makes aberrant unique. The and one break it from point. our world. Yeah, and
1: I, I think it's different than the entire world being super or right. being weird. Where that's not really the oddity.
0: Yeah, it's it's several thousand out of the seven billion people on our planet,
1: right? Mm -hmm. Like TMNT kind of had that in the original, where you had these unique things. In this case, it was you know you there was multiple ways that you could have gotten to that power set, some of which could be you know radiation treatments, you know Mm -hmm. something crazy. You were a cosmic experiment, exactly. But you were still you were gaining a super ability, Mm -hmm. and and in that super ability, you were also strangely enough, in most cases, an animal of some.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, All right. So there's also, you know, Eldritch beings in kind of the Lovecraftian sense. Sure. Um, There are, you know, Outsiders from beyond time and space that uh, have taken either an interest in our world or have been summoned to our world, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, uh, and this this is kind of you know the bleeding of any sort of like uh, two different dimensions together, sort of uh, sort of an aspect. Yeah. Um. You see that it, not not just in you know your Lovecraftian games, obviously like Call of Cthulhu, mm-hmm. but you'll also see there's there's a lot of aspects of it in uh, contemporary fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dresden Files setting has quite a bit of that. Yep. Um, Funny enough, Seven C has it. Seven C has it. D and D even has it. There's a yeah. whole there's a whole subtype of monster called aberrations. Yeah, uh, that are from the outer realms. Yeah, which I are mean, essentially Lovecraft land. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the holders
1: are aberrations. Yeah, outsiders. Yeah, you know. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's it's definitely something that sits, and I think a lot of people think of it as like you know the full-on tentacle monsters kind of a thing yeah, with multiple eyes, multiple mouths, something you can't behold in your mind. Mm-hmm. And we actually had a really neat discussion about the dimensionality of like what you're actually perceiving.
0: Oh no, may my not up. Yeah, be
1: what you're actually seeing. You know, if we ever get to that point where we start talking about multi-dimensional monsters, please tell us to just you know back it off like by ten yeah, percent or my, something. My
0: my lovely boyfriend spent 40 Forty-five minutes explaining to me what a fourth-dimensional object would look like, and I just—it broke my brain, but yeah. it opened my eyes at the same time, and I will never be the same. It's so. an incredible thought. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Speaking but, of which, okay, aliens. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, aliens. Uh, yeah. Aliens are, are a, uh, a great thing to have um, uh, in your in your setting sometimes. So, yeah. like uh, Stargate, it's
1: a major plot point mm-hmm. of that whole universe that. What you think was the truth is not. Yep. And that's why you're now traveling. And what you consider alien is even more weirder in the Stargate universe because Mm -hmm. humans are a byproduct of genetic evolution. It's really weird. Right. Like, like you're, you're the most outside of the whole thing, but that's the baseline as far as the story is because Like, uh-huh. Hey, Oh, you're another human race, but how do you fit into this with, into this alien pantheon of things? It's like, Oh, interesting that you chose it that way. Mm-hmm. Slave race, you know? <laughs> right.
0: Right. Um, or, uh, you know, I, I referenced Trinity earlier. Oh, yeah. Um, Trinity's Trinity's a, a spacefaring setting. So you've got aliens there and it's got, it's a uh, very much like a, um, at least from from memory it's kind of a mass effect sort of thing where you know you go out into the stars and there's already stuff out there you know yeah. there's already established alien races who just kind of like oh hey you guys got off the planet that's good, really good cool for you. yeah yeah you know so hey if you want to make use of our already established shipping lanes you know through your solar system that's yeah. cool too i mean you know?
1: do you have shields to protect yourself cuz yeah. like the radiation's going to be really bad on that tin can you're flying through space in right. you know right
0: you know, but it, but you can you can do a lot of interesting stuff with aliens because you know, they're, they're, and there's there's a lot of tropes that you can dig into uh, from uh, movies and such like that. I mean, yeah. your aliens can be your hostile invaders, your bugs, your aliens, you like know, the, the classic movie sense, your, your xenomorphs, yeah, exactly. your uh, your Starship Troopers, yep. you know, those yep. sort of things. Or you know, they they can be your Mass Effect style ones where they're uh, you know different cultures, but they're essentially humanoid and civilized and spacefaring, just like you. You can mix or them up. You can go with the kind of
1: that is more annoying like space herpes
0: (laughs) (laughs) you can just say jar jar you can just say jar jar it's okay Uh, actually
1: i was was going for ice
0: pirate space herpes actually but uh, yeah i was going
1: really really low on the the totem pole there so because like when you get into the like buck rogers type World settings where mm-hmm. everyone is humanoid and they all kind of look the same. The alien aliens are really weird
0: looking, yeah, and really
1: yeah. out otherworldly and crazy.
0: So there was a uh, there was a uh, an Asimov story that mm-hmm. I loved called By Jupiter." Okay, and it was B U Y. Okay, in purchase, purchase. Yeah, it was by, by Jupiter. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the race of aliens in that particular short story it was only like four pages long or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. were gaseous. Okay, and that was where the major communication disconnect came in because uh, because they were gaseous and they did not understand the motivations and needs of corporeal creatures such as ourselves. There right. was a there was a negotiating snafu that, uh, that that took place between us and them, and that that spawns the uh, the conflict in the story. So, well, oh,
1: I could see that.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know don't 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 let uh if 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 you are gonna add aliens or space travel or high tech stuff like that into your uh, into your setting uh you know don't don't limit yourself to just like oh they're 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 obnoxious bugs or they're uh you know humanoids with rubber masks you can you can do a lot of cool stuff at the tabletop that isn't limited by a special effects budget yeah, exactly exactly and then we've
1: talked about like just the the not so fantastic mm-hmm. like mega corporations yeah i think you've got like your your sci-fi type you know type where it's more of an entity Mm -hmm. of 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 mass you know this is where like a a squad would come out to protect its stuff or you know ten thousand accountants work on this you know you know super transaction and it's run by a dragon you know it's it's something massive but at the same time you've got like uh Angel, uh, the TV show mm-hmm. had a law firm that was all demons. Yep. And masquerading as something else. That kind of thing is something, you know, cults and, and such.
0: Yeah, and, and you don't even need to have supernatural aspects to them. Right. I mean, humans are perfectly capable of organizing themselves into Illuminati-like structures, right? That, you know, manipulate things from the shadows. So maybe that's you know, maybe that's part of your setting. Maybe your setting is literally just our mundane world with our current level of technology there's nothing weird about it but there are shadow conspiracies yes everywhere Every th- and, secret
1: societies yeah. and all kinds of crazy stuff
0: um you know i mean it, that that can be that can be a great thing to add into your uh to your, uh, uh like if you're going to play a high intrigue mm-hmm. setting or something definitely.
1: like that definitely a lot of
0: social a lot of social yep and then you have like things actual
1: materials mm-hmm. so like Maybe you have unobtainium that makes – that's lighter than gravity and floats. Yep. Great. Now suddenly you have airships. Exactly. Exactly. Or you have literal places that are evil, like just Mm -hmm. inherently pockets of evil, like – Unexplainably, part of the world. You know? I,
0: I briefly ran a homebrew game. Okay, um, it was just because I couldn't get you know four adults together on a regular basis enough with with lives I and jobs that. and kids and whatnot. There,
1: there's always times like that.
0: Um, but uh, the the setting was modern world. Um, but the apocalypse had essentially happened. Okay, and it was that uh, essentially the the D and D manual of the planes was more or less correct there was a fire plane and a water plane sure. and and heaven and hell were essentially elementally correct in that there were places of pure goodness or pure evil and sure. whatnot and at certain points that were closely attuned to those areas hence like out in the Mojave <laughs> desert there is a portal to the fire plane because Makes it's sense. the middle of a desert yeah. and you know one day in tempe arizona uh, fire elementals just start spilling in Sure, and the whole world starts unraveling at the seams, and the uh, uh, the PCs were part of a squad that essentially was the last vestiges of whatever was left of the U.S. government that was essentially trying to fight back against these things. Sure, and, like Detroit was a well, was a portal to hell. Essentially, mm. it was just overrun with demons and whatnot, and like they had to like go out from the suburbs and into Detroit to somehow. <laughs> I think that would have been Chicago. I don't know. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I mean you you know that that was that was some world building I've done. No, past, you that, know? that
1: definitely fits. It definitely fits. So so there's a couple of reasons. Like okay, so yeah, you have these oddities, but how do they fit into the story? Why are they there? Right. Are they are they there because they're a resource? Like in some worlds where like literally races get created mm-hmm. for a need. The urukai. Were created. Yep. You know, yep. you might have like in the case of humanity and Stargate, they mm-hmm. were slaves. They were a slave race. Mm-hmm. You know, and they were bred and built to be slaves, to be able to just be quickly produced, relatively quickly produced, mm-hmm. and, and put out there. And you can definitely do something like that. Um, or it can be a resource for other things, like in the case of airships and unobtainium and that kind of thing. Sure. Or, or genetically important things, or like ooze in the case of TMNT. Like, mm-hmm. it's something that is there as a, not a MacGuffin so much, but kind
0: of, that it, it pushes part of the the world plot in a direction right right it, it's it's not necessarily a macguffin because a macguffin is more something that moves a plot along right. but what it is is it's it's like a it's like a world macguffin that's what that, i'm saying like that, that 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 pushes your entire world building in yeah, a direction correct yeah. correct you
1: know uh in the the case of shadowrun like the great ghost dance that changed the world literally and created goblinization like mm-hmm. that event and those that Effect that across that world was part of that that changed the resources yep. and what happened there. Yep. Um. And then in that, you have history. So just like that, there was a whole history of events that occurred mm-hmm. that eventually created goblinoids on Earth and then the elves coming back out and the resurgence of magic and bringing dragons back into the world. Yep. Like those types of events. Um. I was just in Chris's game and he had done it so that the moon was shattered. Oh, and wow. because the moon literally turned into a shattered bit that became a ring around earth, earth changed oh yeah like gravimetrically we changed uh poles changed it, access was slightly off it, he oh. you went into great detail of like now there were zones around the meridian belt that were different because
0: now you don't have a moon protecting you there was there was a book there was a book that i, I saw at one point i never got around to reading it but it was like it was literally entitled like the day the earth Mo-, or the, the, the moon moved or something mm-hmm. like that and it was just about the how how the the lives of people were affected when the moon moved like twice as you know like it halved the distance between yeah. us and you know and the planet like yep. that was it yep it's just much bigger and closer now but holy cow did it shift things for people and it just uh, reminded me of that i'm sorry
1: no that's that's very much thing um but
0: that's but that's a it's a neat aspect of world building you know
1: just just something as as simple as
0: just change the moon
1: yeah it's amazing what it'll do to Mm -hmm. your existence so one of the things that we always want to completely come back to is consistency yes you you want to be consistent so that if it's in your world it's in your world. You're not going to say that this suddenly went away. Mm-hmm. Does it change? Does it evolve? Sure. Does right. your plot evolve it? Maybe. Mm-hmm. That's great. But the real key is you need to know certain aspects
0: to keep that consistent. Like yep. how does it work? Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's the big thing because it, there's nothing that makes something feel literally shoehorned in. Mm-hmm. Like when your world doesn't react to something supernatural. Mm-hmm. Happening, you know, yeah. there are aliens. Well, great. How has humanity changed because of the existence of aliens? Oh, we really haven't. We've just gone on, but now we now we we dink around space what? Like, how, how do the existence of aliens not massively shift everything for us, you know? Yeah. Why are there not organizations or spacefaring things? Why are half of us not trying to go to war with the aliens, you know?
1: Unless your whole story is about the fact that that story is a lie. Yeah. That, like, yes, I work for the you know United Marine Corps of Earth, and I'm out on Mars. I've been born on Mars, and everything's hunky dory. We're mm-hmm. now spacefaring people. and It's like, and the real thing is, is that Earth sucks, and is that war and is you know horribly against the aliens but in mars you don't know that because those signals get cut off and Mm -hmm. you don't get that information you get that everything is a-okay you know but somehow your ship just crash landed on earth with all this alien tech and the whole world hates you
0: Mm -hmm. you know uh so all right when thinking of how things work that sounds like a death sentence to a lot of people creatively. Sure. It's it sounds like a huge thing to like have to Like you've got to write out, up like, everything. Right. Now Do I, the want, math. I want to assure you, okay? You only need Star Trek explanations for yep, things. I agree. Okay. And when I say Star Trek explanations, I I mean, you know, uh okay, so you've got uh, you know, something that creates anti gravity. Okay, great. Uh it's uh you know, it's it's made up of a special molecular structure that repels gravity, uh, so it makes it buoyant in open air. There you go. There you go. That's the explanation. Yep. You know, you can. You don't have to publish technical papers on things. You yep. do not need to write biological reports on how vampires function. Right. What you need to know is, do they drink blood? Mm-hmm. Does does it have to be human blood, or can animal blood do? Mm-hmm. Is it living blood or dead blood? Some basic questions like that. How often do they need to feed? Yeah. How many are there? Sure. Are they organized into any sort of groups or are they just feral vampires? And I'm going to say this, some quick questions.
1: If it's an important part that attaches to your plot, make sure that those questions get answered as they come up. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go into high detail. But if your plot literally has one living in a castle Mm -hmm. with servants that are humans and like eats normal food, you – Better keep that consistent, unless he's the one oddity among all of them. Right? Like he's the daywalker, and every other vampire is literally a bunch of feral, crazy, you know, bloodthirsty things that he wants nothing to do with.
0: And then you'd kind of better have a, a reason why. And again, yeah. Don't nothing. You don't really need much more than a sketch, much more mm-hmm. than than a Star Trek explanation for yeah. it. But somebody in your game is going to ask, well, why the hell is he different? Right. And you should have an answer for that. You may not need to give it to them right away. They may need to discover it.
1: Yep. But
0: that's now part of your plot. So congrats.
1: And and likewise, like in the case you put in Tony Stark in here, which I think is a great idea because basically you can pull a suit out of his hoodie.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, and
1: it's just the answer is nanotech. That's great. And I think it's fantastic. But it's Mm -hmm. also not saying much different that by the, you know, five years after discovering Wakanda, which he didn't even know about Uh and dealing with all these aliens, his
0: tech has gotten better. How? just better. Yep. It's it's nanotech and we all went, "Oh, okay. No that, that makes fits. Sense. That, that totally that makes sense. sense. Tony Stark could invent nanotech. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Our
1: Ar- 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 arc reactor, what is it? A fusion reactor. Fantastic. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yep, it's good we, enough. We
0: accept it because yep. the world-building around it was consistent enough that it we right. that we all you have to say is nanotech and boom, yep. we're we're on. Yep. We're on board. And the
1: other thing which like 7C did um in the sense that If a player wants to get close to a mastery of something that is of that scale, Mm -hmm. they have to go to a known master in the game. So in this case, like if you've just got a player who's really smart as a starting player, they're like, well, I'm going to do nothing but study nanotech so I can build my own suits. You'll be like, that's great. He's considered a legendary character and is just doing this at the edge of his knowledge Mm -hmm. base. So – Yes, once you reach the cl- classification of a legendary character, you can too definitely get a glimpse of what he's doing and be able to do something similar and or better than he's doing. Yep. But that's a devotion that you have to get to. So, and also have the resources.
0: <laughs> but that's that's plot.
1: That is that is serious <laughs> that's plot. And some definite dedication out of a player. So. But
0: but the fact that these people exist and yes. are known is part of your world building. Right. Right. Uh, fit. Right. So, how does it fit? Fit with the rest of the world. I and love we really start fit. really start getting into consistency here. Right. Um. So, you want your things to be consistent with not only your story, mm-hmm. uh, in its history, in its purpose, and things like that. But yeah. there's another thing that we really haven't discussed a whole of a lot in mm-hmm. these discussions of world building, and that's theme. Yes. Okay. So. The the idea of theme, um, and, and again, this is uh, I, I I warned you this topic. It's a little ephemeral. Yes, it's uh, a little it's a little uh, uh, less solid, and a little less concrete. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, uh, you've got a sword and sorcery setting. You're you're playing D D. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm I'm with you. Suddenly, somebody discovers a laser rifle. Does that feel like it fits, or do you think people at your table are going to be going, "We discover a what? Yeah, we're a." A laser rifle mm-hmm. in a dungeon. Sure. Why is there a laser rifle in a dungeon? That's a good gun. And it's going to, like, rip everybody out of the scene. Now, you may have a damn good reason for it being there. Sure. But laser rifles traditionally, unless you're playing a very specific type of setting, don't really fit in a D&D-style setting. It's, it's really going to break things up for you. Um, so... You want to make sure that whatever supernatural aspects you're meshing together to build your world right. are all gonna kind of work towards the same theme, the same feel, the same overall um they're gonna they're they're gonna contribute to the picture rather than sticking out. Right. You know? If you're working with pastels as a palette, don't throw neon colors on there. You yeah. know? I mean,
1: like you had put in here, and I, I think it was a pretty good example, like if you're literally got a paladin With a giant Warhammer who's marching into combat and the guy directly across from him throws a fireball. That's great. And then three steps away is a dude with a shield and a heavy bolter literally firing rounds into the middle of this
0: combat. There's like a whoa, whoa, whoa. What's going on here Mm -hmm. unless it's Warhammer 40K? Unless it's Warhammer 40K. This is a great setting where you can have things like laser rifles and magic together. And it's a weird theme. It is a – Operatic space theme to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a lot of swords, a lot of shields, but they're all high tech power armor versions <laughs> of it. Your magic is called psychic, but uh, you know attacks. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's 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 space D anD D, and it's and it's executed brilliantly, I think. But you know, I'm sure that's a that's a matter of debate. Yeah, uh, but but you know it's because they've established the theme of mm-hmm. Warhammer 40K as this gothic space D&D with power armor sure. you know thing they can get away with laser rifles and magic in the same setting I agree but if we're just playing straight up D&D out of the 5th edition book mm-hmm. I better not find a laser rifle yeah i mean and you do have settings where literally
1: your party is in an odd world you're mm-hmm. you are the odd man out like in the case of this is we're literally in historical roman times and the group is coming in as the 3rd rifle brigade of uh, a marine unit that literally got pulled out of time mm-hmm. so now they're fighting the romans because they're just outside of you know one of their encampments that was about to fight the nor uh, the nor you know the northern army mm-hmm. and now you've got this detached rifle brigade with Everything that a Marine Brigade would
0: have. Sure. But you've already established that time travel and meshing worlds together is part of the is part exactly. of Is part of the setting. So once that – Becomes established. F- is, is established now suddenly oh there's high tech stuff in amongst all this medieval stuff oh well of course there is we're mixing worlds together right that's the setting what, what else has been mixed in mm-hmm. where else has it mixed from timeline wise but, but we're following the theme then that right. at that point mixing worlds is the theme right so uh, i i would be weirded out if i didn't see that sort of thing exactly. once you establish that that's that but a, having a unicorn come riding through that Might feel a little weird. Right. Because we've all established that that we're dealing with real world stuff at this point just from different timelines. Right. Unicorns aren't real world stuff. So Mm. now the unicorn is the weird thing out. Correct. Why do we have a unicorn? Uh you You know, and
1: come to find out it's a future prop but it still doesn't seem right unless that unicorn literally comes into the scene, gets shot and falls apart as a robot or into shards of, you know, some nanotech that mm-hmm. reforms a, a smaller unicorn. Mm-hmm. Okay, n- now we're getting close to what we're we're dealing with, so. So again, consider how it fits into this theme and into the world and then be able to explain it. Yep. To yourself at least. Do the rubber ducky test, right. you know with it.
0: And and keep in mind too that um None of your elements, like I said before, exist in a vacuum. Right. Okay, your world will be changed by every single one of these supernatural elements. So, we brought up the the uh, concept of a of a metal that's lighter than air. Okay. So mm-hmm. now you've got airships. That's that's why you added it. You're like, yep. "I want airships in my setting, so what if there was a metal that's lighter than air?" That's cool. Sure. Okay. What else can be made with that metal? Um you know, uh, are there other things that float? Uh, how have airships changed the world around them? Now you've got airships, but mm-hmm. and that's great. But how does that change trade? How yeah. does that change travel? How does that change immigration? How yeah. does it change warfare? Yeah, you know, be prepared for that. These are, these are all questions you're going to, again, just need to at least have rough sketches of answers for because they're going to inform the rest of your world building and they're going to make your airships really feel like they belong in the world. Right. Um, if you have vampires, like I said earlier, how do they eat? How many are there on average? Uh, what weaknesses do they have?
1: Not all vampires are created equal.
0: Are there weaknesses that are incorrect, that are rumored to have? Like yeah. are they said to be repelled by holy symbols, but really that's just, you know – that's an old wives' tale. It's just a bit much. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Are they organized into any sort of a society like the Camarilla or the yeah. Sabbat in yeah. World of Darkness? You Do know? they have their own rules uh, set that they have to follow? The red, white, and black courts in Dresden Files, yep. uh, things like that. Yep. Um, if you have magic, where does it come from? Uh, are there multiple sources of it, like uh, divine magic or mm-hmm. arcane magic, like in D anD D, or is it wild? Do you have like lee lines that literally cut through the globe invisibly? Right. Um, uh, Mistborn, do you need to consume, uh, you know, uh, something special to give you that power? Mm, soul um, stones. Do uh, is using does using magic take a toll on the caster? Yeah. Uh, is, you know, is there is there a cost in blood and body? Yeah. Um, how common are magically talented people? Yeah. Uh, what's the upper limit of what magic can accomplish? Is it just lighting candles at the snap of your fingers or can you drop flaming mountains on people? And we're not saying that you you have to keep asking yourself questions about it till you eventually get all
1: the answers, all. Mm-hmm. But you do have to be prepared to answer those questions and then consistently have those answers available. Exactly. And understand that they are affecting your world. Right. So if you come up with something – I'm a MacGuffin because you needed it mm-hmm. for what you were doing. Just be prepared that now that is a thing. Yep. That oddity is a thing
0: and it's got to be played with. So – And you've established that thing can happen. So if your PCs try to make another thing happen or look for other things like it. Yep. You got to come up with some reasons for why there are or are not other things like that, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah,
1: know? we ran through a pretty long discussion on the thread – uh, when it came up for a sh- certain story topic uh, that someone had in regards to uh, keys to lock away a god mm-hmm. and that now these keys were spread out. Great. You created something odd in your world. Mm-hmm. Now you have to explain it. You, right. You, you, you've you got it out there. So now we have to know why, where they came from, how those people got them. How do you wh- figure out that you can lock up a god? Right. Things right. Like, that, like you know? why was he locked up in the first place? Mm-hmm. Like, is he really locked up, or is he just bound somewhere? Like, how do you get through and get past that initial interaction of the object?
0: And and I'm going to tell you honestly, this is my favorite part of world building: mm-hmm. is 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 sitting there and just going, "That's a cool idea." And just asking why a billion times yeah. and just brainstorming it, you know, while you're while you're in the shower, while you're sitting on the toilet, while you're driving to work for 45 minutes and stuck in traffic, you know, just, you know, put the music on low and just think and just let your brain walk around that concept and just think, what if I look at it from this angle? Mm -hmm. You know, what are the implications here? What are the implications there? And I've found at least, uh, you know, examining my own story elements. There's a lot of really great times where I've gone. Wait a minute, hold on a second. I just realized halfway home from my drive on work, drive to work, you know that that I've been looking at this all wrong. I never even considered this angle over mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Oh man, if that were a thing, and then suddenly that whole idea blows up into a yeah. really great plot surrounding it, and oh, there could be these evil guys going after it. But you know, yeah, and I have some great brainstorming moments. So. Yeah. Yeah, Favorite thing.
1: Be careful with the just because answers. Yes. In your own mind. Yes.
0: So. You should – just just because is a bad answer. Yeah. It's a bad answer. And at least have the roughest sketch. Yeah. At least have the roughest sketch. Yeah.
1: All right, so you had one more thing in here, and it has to do with Overwatch's question.
0: Yeah, Overwatch was asking um, whether we've got kind of a a Hall of Fame and Hall of Shame of uh, consistency in settings and stuff like that. So um, I don't necessarily know that I've got a Hall of Shame, but we did jot down some notes on uh, Hall of Fame. I would say so. Um, So uh, in talking about... Uh, you know what makes setting unique and such like that. I figured this is a great place to answer this. Mm-hmm. Go for it. All right. So, uh, I've talked about it before. I will talk about it many times again. Uh, one of my favorite settings is aberrant. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the thing that makes that setting unique is it's our world, but suddenly thousands of people have superpowers. Mm-hmm. Um, so why? Why do suddenly thousands of people wake up with superpowers one day? Um there was a scientific experiment mm-hmm. that happened. It's uh, this is there's a long answer to this but we've only got so much time in the show. Um a scientific experiment basically that tapped into the potential of creation itself. Mm-hmm. Um that causes an explosive flood of essentially uh, potential energy is a is a real thing mm-hmm. but like raw potential to be. Mm -hmm. Unformed fate essentially pours into the world Um, and there are certain people who are uh, sensitive to that Mm -hmm. and erupt into what we call novas in this setting. Um, Setting is low fantasy other than that. uh, The game explores real world implications – of the sudden addition of superpowered individuals. Uh, it's a lot like, uh, the old TV show Heroes Mm -hmm. in a certain sense where, um, you don't really have, you know, superpowers in four color costumes calling themselves, you know, by strange names. You, you do get that. They, they do start taking kind of code names in a very, um, Marvel mutants, X Men sort but of. Sense. I would
1: say for a different reason.
0: But it's yeah, it's more it's more nicknames and because there's a almost a Magneto esque uh, acknowledgement that they're not human anymore. Right. And it's kind of a claiming of a new identity rather than just a cool code name, you know, right. for my secret identity. Uh, and it, it really explores, you know, what would happen if regular Joes, Janes, and Jamies suddenly sprouted superpowers. Mm-hmm. Uh. Good and bad people are still re- – good and bad are still relative. Powers are abused. Corporations try to cash in on it. Governments try to control it and the media tries to sensationalize it for ratings. Yep, And that's the cynical world of Aberrant with superheroes. Yeah. I mean for
1: me, I, I will go back to Sebat c um, because it, on the surface, it's basically a mash of all your fantasy – uh, movies and books. It's your mm-hmm. Man in the Iron Mask and Three Musketeers, mashed with Brave, mashed with uh, Zorro, mashed with uh, the stories of of uh, uh, Anastasia, yeah, and yeah. and all of these mythical beliefs and and I will say beautified histories mm-hmm. of what we think things were like. You know, even Les Mis is included in that, and we have this beautification of history pouring out in the form of story wrapped in a world that fits and makes relative sense. I will say Mm -hmm. it's very soft. Um, And the underpinnings of that is unreal. The things that they've got running through the shadows and in the background that tie it all back together is this base, uh, base story that doesn't have anything to do with that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's basically just history played out a little differently where Every fable is
0: true. It, it does arguably for uh, the romantic swashbuckling tales mm-hmm. what D&D does for Tolkien. Very much so. Makes it functional. Yeah. Makes it functional, makes it playable and invites you into a grander, broader version of that
1: world. Yeah. Where the pol- politics of it has a lot going on. Mm-hmm. So for me, I will say um, I like it because of all of the elements they've thrown together um, … that there is so much setting. It's almost too much setting mm-hmm. at times and yet it somehow works in a balance because it's mostly storytelling. Yep. And it is focused on heroism and villainy and that's it. It's not so much about winning and losing. Um,
0: And interestingly as, as a setting … Um, you know, it, it draws a lot from, um, mundane historical tales of, you know, the, uh, well, not historical, I suppose, but, you know, fables. Ba- ba- based in history, I yeah. suppose, of like the three musketeers and right. things like that. Your swashbuckling high sea adventures. Mm-hmm. But you've then got magic and yeah. like monsters kind of put into it, but I think brilliantly, Woven into the setting Mm -hmm. um, and this is why I I love it as world building Mm -hmm. is because um, it's a a really great example of how – as I was saying earlier, don't ever let any of your story elements not affect the world around them. All of them do. Like you add magic in. okay? there's magic in this setting now? Oh, yeah, and it drives – politics 100%. it is i mean almost core to all of the political moves in in the thing because you've got the church oh, yeah. playing against you know governments and stuff like that you've got like montaigne which is basically their version of france who have like kicked the church out because mm-hmm. right before the montaigne king declares oh by the way i'm a sorcerer too
1: yeah you one know. of the most powerful And uh, I fully accept all of you. Yeah. And so now they're flocking there because the Inquisition doesn't quite like that. Mm -hmm. And yet there are still elements of the church there that are trying to keep favor because he is so powerful. Mm -hmm. And yet the underbelly of this is that you have all of these nations poking and playing and discussing and planning against each other. There's been wars that have been – Brought on and stopped and restarted several mm-hmm. times. So yeah, it's it's incredible how it's all woven together.
0: Excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, and the last one I'm going to bring up is kind of a conglomeration of mm-hmm. uh, it. It all goes it falls under the, uh, the 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 banner of contemporary fantasy. Yeah, uh, and that would be like Urban Shadows, the Dresden Files setting, mm-hmm. uh, World of Darkness. Yeah, um, all of these things that are our contemporary world. Plus magic and monsters lurking in the shadows, yeah. and uh, one of the things that I really love about this setting is that it's it's very identifiable because it is our world. Mm-hmm. But then you've got these fantastical elements layered on top of them. Yeah, and um, depending on you know which story you're telling, be it World of Darkness or Dresden Files, um, uh, Jim Butcher in the Dresden Files books has done an amazing job of explaining how all of this stuff just kind of exists yeah. around us at all times, and humans. Go out of their way to explain it away because the idea that vampires exist is so terrifying to us that even if you caught one on camera drinking the blood of somebody and then turning into a giant bat creature and flying away, we would still look at it and go – I don't know. It's all grainy and kind of shaky. It's obviously fake and Mm -hmm. there's special effects that can pull that off because it's easier to think of it as just a a myth, a creation of special effects than it is to acknowledge there are blood drinking vampires that really honestly exist. Exactly. And what I like about those settings is that it's a
1: setting, but the theme, a lot of those stories are about... Simple things. Mm-hmm. Romance, hate, revenge, very basic themes where the setting, like just because you have a fantastical vampire who's doing all these things, it doesn't mean that the story is about defeating him. Sure. It's that he had a lover and that lover has passed. Mm-hmm. And now he thinks he that they've come back in a different form. Yep. And he's stalking them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's
1: the story is dealing with her and this crazed out. Vampire who's following her and maybe she is and maybe she isn't, mm-hmm. you know, and that's – those those are the kinds of stories that you look at and you go, okay, so the setting is just that. It is a theme that – a setting that sits behind the theme of the actual story. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So
0: and It just gives you some real fantastical building blocks to tell some honestly really core stories with.
1: So. Yeah. Alright, we got 15 minutes and we have
0: questions. We have a lot of questions.
1: I wanna, I wanna, again, Ilya May, we will get to your question. I promise you this. We yep, will yep. get to your question. Uh, Mad Elf, we have not forgotten about your question. We will get to it. We promise that. Overwatch, we got you covered. Uh, now, there was a question that I wanna do mm-hmm. before we get too far because I wanna be able to get through this question and that is, uh, one of our new listeners, uh, Silver, uh, Grizzly, uh, said wanted to talk about character death, and one of the things he asked was, "Do you think it is it okay to allow a character to keep playing the PC, uh, the character that died, if uh if they had a great connection to and did not want to accept the death, or do you force the issue? Does it count if they did something really dumb to die, like walk up and punch a red dragon in the face at level one?" I have strong opinions about this. We have not pre-discussed this because I didn't want
0: to. Yeah. Yeah. I brought it up at dinner and uh, and he was like, nope, nope, nope. We're doing this live. We're doing it live. So (laughs) I want to hear what you were going to say at dinner. (laughs) All right. So I I, I started to say I'm of two minds. Okay. Okay. Um, Now, on one hand, I think it's important as a storyteller that you – that there's consequences. Yeah. For things. Uh, I agree. Characters die yeah and and sometimes it's tragic, and there is a lot of great storytelling that can happen from a dead character, yes, okay. um, I'm gonna make my obligatory critical role reference for the uh, for the episode. Um, there have been a couple characters that have died in both campaign one and mm-hmm. campaign two. Uh, I'm not gonna get into heavy spoilers in case there's people who haven't seen it yet, but um, things happen those. Those characters' deaths motivated greatly the other PCs in the group in ways that honestly you, you wouldn't think. I mean it's not just not just your simple stuff of like I want revenge on the guy that killed him. Right. I mean obviously that was a thing. Sure. But now that he's gone, I really remember what he said to me that one time, that one really insignificant line mm-hmm. but it meant something to me and right. it changed my character. Right you know that sort of thing and and now that he's gone i feel like i have to live up to that
1: right right
0: and so your your character arcs for your for your surviving pcs are forever altered for it yeah. maybe have a funeral for that character maybe sure. you know there's a lot of great plot you can do out of death and death does not i feel like it's a missed opportunity if you don't acknowledge it and allow it to happen right second I think- off i really think that you're also telling your players that there's no consequences for their characters, and I think that cheapens a lot of the danger.
1: I agree, and and I think some settings, it it is very impactful. Like in 7th C, if you die, there's a reason why you died. Mm-hmm. Like it literally says in the book how a character should or should not die. Yeah. And it's yeah. very clear and cut about that. But, I mean, if in D&D you die because – A fireball went off in the room. Maybe it was your own players who threw it, Mm -hmm. and the combat goes on for 12 turns for some strange reason, and you just keep failing your checks, and your healer never gets a potion to you, and it never – like, did you die under bad terms? Yeah, I think under that situation, I might make an exception. I might be like, okay, uh – Let's roll the fact that, you know, your players, the players got through the scenario and maybe they moved on.
0: Nah, you got healing spells, you got clerics, you got. Right. uh,
1: But literally, if your party did nothing mm -hmm. to try and heal you and you literally just died like nine, nine or ten games in uh, and out of just sheer dumb luck Mm -hmm. uh, and, and a lot of avoidance by the other players, like yeah, maybe that character died. But yeah. I, I have a hard time understanding. Like I'm sorry, if a brand new character walked up, like a first level character decides I'm gonna go do something dumb and jump off the top of this building just to see if I'm gonna die. First off, if you actively do something stupid and the DM is just like, okay, uh, you know, you're you guys are jumping between rooftops. You realize you're third, you're 30 to 60 feet off the ground. Uh-huh. A fall will kill you.
0: I'm making it very clear what the consequences are here.
1: No, no, no. We've got to do this. We've got to get away from. Okay, keep making checks. Okay, and you failed your check because you're not very dexterous. You're Mm -hmm. a you're a a mage, and you fall. Okay, so how do you want to play that off? Well, probably as a storyteller, I might make that person be unconscious. Mm -hmm. I might have them hit the ground and like make your save. You failed. Okay, please hem your. You know, please set your character to the side. You're out of this combat. Mm -hmm. You know, you're out of this whole scene, you know, and if the players don't come back for them, they're going to be like, well, what happens to me? I'm like, we're going to just wait till they're done with their scene. We'll do a scene for you and you're captured Yeah. or you're somewhere else, Mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, there's consequences for those actions. There's always consequence because consequence is important. If there's no consequence, then there is no, there is no loss. There's, it's just a feeling of being invincible. Yeah. And if the setting doesn't ask for that, like D and D is is not an invincible setting. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, it is
0: not. Absolutely. But I would say establish it with the players ahead of time. So I'm. I'm only going to add one other thing to that. What's that? And that is that it can be kind of cool sometimes if you if you've got a really good reason for it, really good reason for it for someone to not accept their death. If you've got a really good reason for it, sure. Okay, so. Uh, you know, let's just say one of your characters gets like, you know, vaporized in front of his true love or something like that or dying to save her or something, you know, some real heroic Steps in of front of a out, bullet kind of a thing, you know, sort of thing like that. And your setting allows for things maybe like ghosts or revenants. Sure. Um, You know, I definitely think it would be a. it's a discussion with the player. Mm hmm. Um, it's definitely something that is absolutely storyteller purview. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you think you can do it in a way that would enhance the story, I've got no problem with it. All
1: right, all right, but sure. I think
0: it should be rare yeah. and I think it should be very special yeah. and I think it should come with a lot of strings attached. Sure. I would still say that they probably should roll up a character.
1: Yeah. But I would say if they want to do cameos with that character, you would control when they drop in mm-hmm. and I think it would be important moments. Yeah, yeah. So – all right, uh, do you want to do Mistress? Just so we, we yeah we, we hit all the new ones. Yeah, I do. Give everyone their
0: chance. Yeah, absolutely. Do uh, it. So Mistress asks, uh, do you use multi pantheons in your world or worlds? And if so, how do you manage them? Do you use all the gods or goddesses, or just pick and choose? Um, so I. Typically, use established settings um, that have their own pantheons to them. So, like, we played Forgotten Realms, Forgotten Realms has its own pantheon. Yeah. Uh, I've done a homebrew setting, I wrote my own pantheon of nine gods Mm -hmm. for it. I, setting, I have not dipped into multi, multiple different pantheons for a setting.
1: I did for uh, – I'll start it, say it for my D&D setting. Mm-hmm. I, I built a custom setting and I did dip because I was doing a multi-world where pe- players came from different worlds. It was a, mul- a
0: multiverse. Yeah, yeah, a multiverse. Yeah, yeah. And
1: so in that I did and realistically I will say this. You should have in your mind how they're interacting mm-hmm. but unless they're acting members and they're part of the story – just have a side note. Yeah. You, you don't need to actively think like, oh, well, what would this God do if this God was doing this thing, you know, you know, and then now the players are wanting to worship this other god as they are they now involved? Great. Make up a reason where they're involved and how they're involved.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's... Until
1: it be, no different than NPCs in a town. Until they're they literally just part of the story, they're great, not part of the story. You know, the, how how many people are in the town? Two hundred and fifty. Great. How many players did the players – how many people did the players actually deal with? Three. Yep. How many of them have name? Probably six. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, because they know one of the guards. They don't interact with him, but they they they, got his name now. They
0: talked to the innkeeper. Yep. Bob.
1: Yep. Who told (laughs) them about Fred and Lord McKellen. Yep. You know, and who's Fred. Fred works with Lord McKellen. Exactly. You know, and, and that's
0: 247 that's... other NPCs you didn't have to write there. And, exactly. And so if you're going to do gods, they're the exact same
1: Yeah, know, know what their jobs are. Yeah. Know what they're doing and have it in the back of your head when they're involved in a scene. If you've got a barmaid who's in a bar but they never ask her about who she is, maybe you've got like a little thing. You know who she is. Mm-hmm. You've got it set off to the side so that if it ever has like, is the barmaid cute? You look at it. She is. It says on the sheet, she's, she's cute. cute. And there you go. Now, you same thing with gods. Mm-hmm. Hey, I've got this god. Great. What do you know about him? Uh, Well, he's, uh, he's the... the god of war. Yeah. Great. If someone says, is there a god of war? Uh, actually, there is. Mm-hmm. Um, Give me a religion check. Oh, you got a 17. Yes. His name is Thanos. Mm-hmm. You know, now you know. Okay. What do I know about him? He is angry all the time. And he carries a
0: big flaming red sword,
1: yeah. uh, at least in all of his imagery yeah, and yeah. iconography. And, uh, you know, uh, his, was he... his followers are usually generals. Yep. And there you go. Now, you go. now, you know more about him and you can he can include him in the story mm-hmm. because he's now part of it.
0: Now, if you're including multiple different pantheons, though, um, and more akin to your to your uh, to your question, uh, you may have overlap. Yeah. And you may need to consider how overlapping gods war over their own domains. So or, if you've got two gods of war. Okay. Sure. Since we're already on the war, Greek thing, okay. and Roman. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So you've got two different, two different gods of war existing in the same space because you've mixed pantheons together. Um, again, still doesn't ever have to really come up unless it comes up. Like if you have a cleric of, of that, one of the war gods in your group and he starts to maybe cozy up to a cleric of the, or, or temple of the other war god, mm-hmm. your god may have to step in and just be like, all right, look, you know, that son of a bitch is stepping on my toes all the time. I don't want to see you talking to them anymore. Right, right. Or whatever is appropriate for your god to right. do to chastise his follower. Or maybe they don't interact with each other at all
1: because they don't know each other exists. Yeah. Which that, is a that, whole other thing. That
0: might be a discovery. I don't know. Yeah. But fair. yeah, no, there's there's some there's some world building potential there.
1: Perfect. So, okay. So now let's see here. You know, let's jump because we did – we, we kind of did something with Overwatch – uh, earlier with yeah, answering yeah, yeah. his question Technical let's
0: has got a question here
1: oh uh, yeah how do you keep the more unique elements from becoming too gimmicky <sighs> gimmicky is such a funny word yeah when you're talking about storytelling elements like that i think gimmicky gets gimmicky when it's it's thrown in in that sense for instance if i'm like You know, all of my, you know, uh, xenophobe, you know, xenophobes uh, all have mouths that have mouths within them. Xenomorphs. Yeah, xenomorphs. Thank you. I, I don't know what my brain was going for there. But anyways, all of them are like that. And they move exceptionally fast and come in unbelievable numbers. Okay, that's a little gimmicky. Or all zombies, like everybody will always be a zombie and the zombies will always crawl except for big ones which always explode, you know, like if that's the way it is, like you're literally grabbing random elements out of other stories and throwing them in, mm-hmm. I think that can be a bit gimmicky.
0: At the same time,
1: is it appropriate for the theme? Maybe, Maybe it is.
0: Maybe, uh, I, I, yeah, I think to expand upon that, it's just it's really all in how you tell the story. Yeah. Um. So I, I've jotted a quick note down for myself here. Uh, the Codex Alera series by Jim Butcher. Mm-hmm. Um. Sold uh, particularly well, uh, very highly rated, um, and the entire series came around because uh, somebody uh, in some forum basically told him he couldn't write a good story based on on shitty ideas. Okay. And he went, no, you can write a good story based on anything. Go ahead. Hit me with a couple shitty ideas. I'll write a story off of it. Oh, wow. And the two ideas they said is uh, Lost Roman Legion meets Pokemon Go. And he wrote the Codex Alera series hmm. based off of it. And apparently it's amazing. I've never read it myself, but uh, he makes it work. And so, I mean, you want to like Lost Lost Roman Legion meets Pokemon. And this guy writes a best-selling series off of that. Yep. It's all in how you t- tell the story, it's all in how you present it. And a lot of it comes into weaving it into your world and making it work there. The more integrated you make it in world, the more you make the world around it react to the thing, the less gimmicky it's going to seem. Yep. You know, uh I used the example earlier of throwing a laser rifle into your D&D dungeon. Mm -hmm. Well, if you've established that this, this dungeon or this entire world was built upon the ancient ruins of an advanced civilization. Yep. Now suddenly that laser rifle starts making a lot of sense. Yep. It does.
1: All right. We're down to two minutes. Uh, I'm going to try and squeeze one more in here only because I think it fits and that's mad elves. How do you introduce fantastic elements into a story that didn't start with them? Why might you do this? In my personal opinion, it's, it If you need a fantastic element that you're throwing in, it's, make sure it's clean, that you know everything about that fantastic element and mm-hmm. why it's there. Yeah, And it has to have impact on the story. Mm-hmm. It has to be tied to the story. If you got the holy grail and they weren't looking for the holy grail, they stumbled across it, it better be important to the story. Mm-hmm. And then it has to feel integrated. So you have to know why it's there. You have to know who got it there. You know, you have to know uh, when when it was created. You have to know why it was created. Mm-hmm. Those, All those things have to feel integrated already into your world so that it fits. And the only reason why I say you might do something like that is if you might feel like you need the plot. You need the maybe you need the story to go in a specific direction, and you need something fantastic to get there.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think also if you're running on a theme of like discovery, if if that's the the, the, the bent of your story is you want like a zeros to hero story where you know mundane people who live regular lives start discovering that their world is bigger and broader, uh, then I think that's a great that's a great time to start throwing in fantastic elements as as curveballs.
1: All right, well, that's Kate telling us that you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave and Instagram ST underscore Conclave. Please check our link through our Twitter to Discord uh, and join us for our conversations. Uh, This next week, we'll be talking about
0: geography. Uh, I want to thank all of our Patreon members uh, for helping support the show, especially Knox in a Box. Thank Thank you for everything you guys do, uh, keeping the show going, supporting us. Uh, our intro music that, uh, that you heard earlier is uh, Beyond the Warriors by Gee Frog. Yes. Um, and our outro music is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find all this on freemusicarchive.org. Uh, we record every week at Podcast Detroit. You can find them online at podcastdetroit.com, on, at, on Twitter at Podcast Detroit. And a big shout out to our uh, slightly under the weather engineer, Kate. Who's still we'll keeping feeling, us along. We'll Hope you feel better.
1: Thanks to our families, Sean, Vicky. Thank you so much and all of our friends. And of course, our listeners.
0: We love you. Thank you. Good night. Good night.